Hello and welcome to another episode of Stories from the Christmas Door. This is Season 2, Episode 8, Blueberries on Fire. We are recording this on June 4th, 2019, and the main reason we're doing it now is, uh, well, I finally had a lot of stuff to talk about. Plus, today is the historic memory of um, the Tiananmen Square Massacre, followed by tomorrow is uh, Tank Man's Day. So, it was the single protester stood in front of the tanks that were leaving Tiananmen Square, Nobody knows who that guy is, whatever happened to him, so, you know, an event for um, a terrible time of uh, total totalitarian governments, uh, you know, enforcing that. And interesting enough how Reason talked, Reason uh, Magazine talked about how this, how um, the Tiananmen Square massacre and the protests on the tank and uh, tank command and stuff like that really solidified the destruction of the Soviet Union in a way by forcing Eastern Europe to and Western Europe, who broadcast those videos and images um, a lot, really brought brought the uh, end of the Soviet Union, helped bring it in. Like various other things brought the end of the Soviet Union, including cultural issues such as listening to rock and roll, like um, art, music, all sorts of stuff. And then they saw what happened in in China, and they're like, well, we better get moving on this really quickly, because who knows until we get um, banged up. <laughs> so there's that. Also, in um, Colorado, 2004 or 2005, it was, it's a killdozer. For those of you who don't remember um, or don't know, uh, <coughs> so it was in 2004, Marvin... Vin, uh, Haymeyer, I believe, <coughs> I believe it is. It's um, spelled um, H-E-M-E-Y-E-R. Um, basically, got screwed over by the uh, by the uh, town he by Granby, Colorado, <laughs> by um, them taking away his road, building a. Um, it, now it wasn't his property. The access road to his property wasn't his property. And got bought out by a. Uh, I'll just do a brief uh, analysis of it. But got bought out by a concrete construct company. But they denied access to his road, and during the construction, they cut off his uh, sewer and water. And the city, f- or the town of Granby, fined him for it, even though he tried to say, "Hey, can we find a new access point for me to have sewer and waterway?" And they said, "No, no, you can't do that. But we're going to fine you for not having it, even though we're not going to let you reattach it." Kildozer is this weird um, rampage that <coughs> is it's bad in the long run. It's bad that it happened, but it, you do you are sympathetic to the person that it happened to in a way because he he just f- like got screwed over by the city for a considerable period of time, and then eventually built his um, took his dozer and armored it up and drove through. Uh, you know, property, (coughs) excuse me, drove through property that was owned by people who had armed him and, and, you know, slighted him and stuff like that. Nobody was killed except for himself, but he was able, but because of the amount of armor he put on it, uh, the SWAT team couldn't deal with it. And eventually they considered calling in the National Guard with an Apache helicopter or Javelin anti-tank missile systems to destroy him, which the National Guard's like, yeah, we're not doing that. And small town America. But the story is very, um, it's tragic in a way that he felt like he had to do this, this man, and that he did do it. Um, 
but it makes you understand, uh, like the memes about it were like, you know, oh, sometimes reasonable people have to do unreasonable things. And I, <clears throat> the hope is, is that uh, the town of uh, Granby eventually started treating their businesses and their citizens with respect and not slighting them because of more expensive people. But let's let's end with uh, that on Kildozer. So Kildozer was. Um, 15 years ago and then Tiananmen Square was 30 years ago so from the libertarian perspective two important uh, days in the memeing libertarian community but in actuality Tiananmen Square is quite an important event and probably the most horrific uh, government massacre in decades um, just to remain power <clears throat> hopefully one day uh, China will become a much more free and open society than they are now, like more like Western Europe and Canada and the U.S. and eventually documents. It would be great to have documents be uh, unearthed and find out what was going on in there. So let's jump into it. Uh, the blueberries on fire. So our blueberries on fire. Well, of course they are. And with our flamethrowers, we will keep them burning until they tell us the truth. <laughs> yeah. Um. So tomorrow night, uh, Shenmue one with a bro potentially. Um, but I'm playing it a little bit in the past, and we've gotten pretty far. Um, I think I said that this uh, last episode that we're finally on to disc two, which is always fun. Um, if I didn't say the last episode, well, we're on to disc two of the Dreamcast original Shenmue one. And man, I it's amazing. Again, like I I can't believe how well made that game is. That game is twenty years old almost, <coughs> if not twenty years old. And the story just hold, holds up in how it tells it, and it's, it just seems so great. Just, I can't wait to finish that series and finally play Shenmue 3 when it comes out. Hopefully this year. It's supposed to come out a few days before my birthday, so <laughs> that'll be really cool to play. Unfortunately, my birthday time and stuff around there is pretty busy. Um, Project Wingman, which is a fan of the original Ace Combat series, has decided to make his own game. And I think I've talked about this before, but anyway, it finally has a page on Steam, which is great because you can add it to your wish list and be updated about it when it stuff's going on. And the guy just, the team that's making it, if I think it's just him, but it's probably more people now involved because, well, there is a team because there's a team of musicians working on him, and I think there's people helping him develop systems and beta test it. But I, <coughs> I wouldn't be surprised if a considerable portion of the programming of the game is mostly him. Um, but you know, credit to him for doing so and making the game that he is making, and it looks like it, it will be a really cool game. Uh, Ace Combat Seven's new DLC plane is really fun to fly, and is feels overpowered in a way, but also is really crazy and physically large in the uh, game space. I like playing as the uh, ADF Eleven Vin F Raven. It's it's a fun thing and deploying those. Uh, little attack UAVs that it carries is really satisfying. Oh, man. And then uh, a few weeks ago, two weekends ago, um, my friend Simon and I went to John Wick 3. So this is, well, not two weeks ago. Uh, it was, yeah, it was two weekends ago we went to John Wick 3, and that was um, 
It was extremely satisfying. Now, I know it's not the end chapter of the series, but really, Parabellum in Latin means prepare for war, so it does make sense it wouldn't be the end series just by the naming. It would have been, if they were ending it, they would have ended it with a different name versus John Wick, then John Wick Chapter 2, and then John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. <laughs> I don't think they're going to get more than four movies out of this, so the way they're lined up, but there is much more to that universe that would be amazing to find out about. Like, Having a side story about Ian McShane's character, Winston and and, and Sharon, um, the Continental Hotel, um, how did this system get set up and all the, mytho- the mythos that just keeps getting extended and expanded every time that we go into this world. And the action was amazing. Halle Berry was very good <coughs> in her role. Um, Keanu Reeves, again, uh, doing a f- fantastic job as John Wick. Ian McShane is... is like the selling point for the movies for me he just he comes across as just like (laughs) he's almost like a joke character who completely understands the universe and is almost in control of it but he doesn't always he's too old-fashioned to fit into the new world (laughs) in a way it's just like he's this weird like he perfectly fits but he seems above it and out of it at the same time (laughs) and i mean it, it goes back to how in um the first one how he uh uh, had Miss Perkins, uh, you know, revoked from the Continental and killed. Just that swagger up and his 90-degree turn and walk away from her just was so, like, cemented this character. It's like, he's a hard-ass character who just is really funny. And I think he knows that he's just absurd, so may as well just act as an absurd character. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, was really good. And the fact that it beat Avengers Endgame is impressive nonetheless. Nothing to say about that. I've heard that, uh, so my father went and saw um, <coughs> the new Aladdin movie, and he said it was fun, so that's cool. Um, when I first saw that, um, the advertisement for the Aladdin movie, the new one um, with Will Smith being genie, I'm like, oh, this 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 can't be right. Um, Will Smith as a genie doesn't fit. But I think there is a thing to say about when you were introduced to the original um, to the original Disney animated one with Robin Williams being Genie. And then if a good actor takes that role and doesn't emulate the past, like everyone's expecting me to be like Robin Williams, but he says, I'm going to do it my own way and I'm going to do it right. And from what I've heard, <laughs> he did it the way he should have done it. And it it's, it's not like too much of a callback to Robin Williams, but it's, it really is his own character in that, um, that, um, it's sort of a remake, and it's sort of not. That telling of that story. Um, so, credit to Will Smith for doing that. And I've only seen um, relatively good press about him uh, having fun <laughs> on tour and letting little kids run around with him on, on the red carpet and go see Princess Jasmine. It like, Maybe it's because Will Smith's in a role that doesn't have his kids in it. Maybe that's why he's able to be good maybe he thought maybe when they're producing it or directing it he's like i need to go back to i can make fun of myself i'm not this serious i can be serious when i want to but i can also have fun it's like him in um oh jeez ah oh, man what was that um jeez uh, what was that movie he was in uh that was sort of like a zombie like apocalypse movie cuz i have it um Jeez, uh, I have to look this up. Um, sorry, it's uh, it's not. It's like 
It's not the Omega Man, because the Omega Man is the Charlton Heston version of that movie. Uh, let's go. Because I've only seen it twice, and I thought it was he was really good in it. Um, but I thought it uh, wasn't... I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess he was good in Suicide Squad, so, yeah, there's that. Uh, which one was it? Um, I Am Legend, that's right. Okay, there, I Am Legend. He was pretty good in that. Um, I felt like the ending of that movie, while it made sense, wasn't as good as the deleted ending that they put in the DVD uh, collector's edition for it. <coughs> Needless to say, it was a good movie, and he's he can be a good actor. He is a good actor. I just think that there are roles that he's in that um, maybe don't don't suit him the way he wants to play them, or maybe... Maybe he's got bad directing. Maybe the director doesn't know how to deal with Will Smith. Um, you know, there's various things where it's not just a, an actor and a director have to know where they're going together. And if an actor and a director don't know where they're going together, you can get mixed signals and it doesn't really work. And yet you can't really get rid of them. Um, so there was that. Um, that was going on. Uh, why have I not been keeping a schedule on this fucking podcast? <laughs> I mean, I, I meant to record this episode... Um, on the on May 25th and this is obviously June 6th so many days have passed since then this is almost a week and a half well this is a week and a half legitimately so why is it um mostly because to be honest if I had recorded it on May 25th I would have been over by now. 13 minutes in, and I would have most likely been done. Except I wouldn't have had that five-minute introduction about Tiananmen Square and Killdozer. I mean, I could have filled some more stuff. More things could have uh, come online. I could have watched more things. I could have read more stuff. But (coughs) there was some news that I didn't... (coughs) Like um, the Iran... um, (coughs) The escalation with the U.S. and Iran, which has tepidly, like, calmed down, but who really knows? And then um, now we've got the tariff war uh, from uh, Trump on Mexico, which I hate tariffs. I think they're very bad, and really, it's the wrong way. I would say that punishing Mexico exports into the United States is uh, harmful to the U.S. and to Mexico, but it more stops Americans from buying it. It would have been... um, it would have been smarter to say we're going to have an export tax on everything going to Mexico. So if Mexico's buying it, we're going to charge the end, like people who are shipping it out. But even that's bad because then you're telling your companies you can't sell to this place. And, you know, I, Reason has a thing about um, when you're into the Trump trade wars, what, ha- what has been lost. And I think that would be an interesting article to read. I haven't read it yet. <coughs> Mostly because I've been busy with various other things, like my job and my jobs, actually. J-O-B-S. Yes, I can spell, which is amazing. <laughs> Credit to the Canadian education system, eh, boys? <laughs> yeah, I can make fun of myself anytime I freaking want to. And it's weird how I switch between, I'm going to say the F word, and I'm just going to say a softer version of the F word. <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know... It's like, what's the point of filling this podcast full of lifeless air that doesn't really have much shit to talk about? 
I mean, sure, I can I can think of filler, but I just don't like that. I, I like to talk about things that gets me passionate, and this is a passion project until it becomes a business, which businesses are technically passion projects, but I'm not making any money off of this. And I'm not going to th- fucking go down the fucking path of, oh, let's talk about this, let's talk about this, let's make plans. I am moving towards video. That's pretty much all I'm going to say. Uh, but I still will make audio versions of this. It's just, you know, getting the storage space and, you know, walking down the pathway to do that. I mean, I, for once, I'm actually recording this podcast with the podcast hat on, <laughs> which is kind of funny. I still have not put up my uh, my banner that's supposed to go behind me. Granted, I don't have... A, I'm not videoing it, so it's sort of not as important, but... Would be nice. Would be nice. <laughs> and I need to learn more about audio stuff, such as editing and um, EQing it. Um, EQing audio is my weak spot when it comes to audio. See, that's uh, shifting around and thinking of ideas that I need to talk about when I am jumping all over the place, so it's not really that great to talk about. So let's go into some other stuff. So I did write down some more stuff on my um, little note sheet to go from here. Um, so... <clears throat> I finally watched, I'd seen a, tra- a teaser trailer for um, PlayStation. They had made a documentary about um, the PlayStation 4 God of War, um, not really reboot, but a continuation of the God of War series. Uh, I had seen the ad for it, and I'm like, huh. Well, not ad, it was a tr- teaser for it, because you don't pay for it, you just get to watch it on YouTube. I thought, I'm going to have to watch that, because I've heard various things about that project. And it's out. Uh, it came out mid-May. It's called Raising Kratos, um, which is, of course, Raising the New Care. Raising Kratos. Kratos is the main character from the God of War series. And it, it's an amazing video about the um, pathway that they took to make this um, video game. It's like an hour and a half long. It's well worth the watch. <laughs> um, it does bring up concerns about the, cr- the uh, last few month crunch crisis and... Um, people burning out and and communication uh communication issues and how bringing some people in isn't great and how companies have big things like we find out that um santa monica studios had five years to make god of war and they originally were supposed to have another um ip going on at the same time and then they got canceled so then all of a sudden it, they got the reverse of crush where all of a sudden they had they had no work and everybody there to work on the project so imagine that like you're in the um idea stage where you're writing the, the story and all of a sudden you've got a hundred people who are art who are artists who are programmers who are designers have all of a sudden came in it's like okay we're ready for your stuff and you're like we're still writing the story so it brings up some various issues in the gaming industry and and Credit to PlayStation for keeping those in, and not and, and they're they're in in a way that makes you think about. Um, they don't shy away from there are negatives about the industry. There are sacrifices about the industry that are being made, and they don't like sugarcoat them or say like, oh well, you know, you have to do this to make your industry work well. They sort of are, are just. My opinion is is that it's an honest take on like. There's crunch periods. There's periods where we have tons of staff who don't have a job to work on, don't have a task, not a job. They don't have a task because uh, they're either waiting for an event that, like, they're meant to be farther down the line of production. They're ready to go now. And 
there's unpredictable changes in uh, developments of other games. So if you have a studio that's got three teams and you're only making two games, you have a third team sitting around wanting to help one. Well, if one team's near the end and the other team's just starting, that third team can help finish off the end. But then when the third team has done the end and they have their own starting point and the second team is <coughs> still not into full production, is only in pre-production, you've got a lot of people sitting around, which isn't efficient. So it, it's, it's good. It's well worth a watch, and it it really does do a dive into the gaming industry, and it makes me really want to play God of War again. Um, like the... Like how at one point they they didn't have Kratos. They didn't have um, the voice actor for Kratos. But how they got um, Atreus very quickly. <coughs> and how um, the characters, the voice actors, who are actually the main actors for these characters, were experiencing similar things in their life. Like the guy who played Kratos, who's from um, Stargate. He was on Stargate and he's on various other things. I can't believe I can't say his name right. I can't remember his name. I've, I wasn't a big Stargate fan, um, so that's why I don't remember him. And the actress who played um, Freya, how they were going through similar stuff in their life, um, or had gone through similar things, like th- that their characters were representing, and how they talked about how that hardship can actually make, all that hardship is terrible. It can make it more real to be acting on it. And, and it's a good look at um, Sony taking a risk and saying, do it. <coughs> and how they didn't really miss their launch, their projected launch date too much. But they obviously spent a lot of money. They had to work very hard. Um, you know, they had a lot of bugs they had to go through. Um, there's a lot of stress in the final few months of game making. And it, they really show that. And to the credit of them, they don't downplay the stress. And they, they say that this shouldn't be... It sort of comes across as like, this stress shouldn't happen, but it unfortunately does. And good studios and good uh, production teams and good um, um, production houses and, uh, and distributing houses will approach this and say, okay, if you need more time, let us know, because we'd rather have your team make a great game than rush a bad game out. But there are times where you can see the problem of that even when they get the extra time. It's like, you know, you're spending money on game. How long do you sit around? Like the Anthem thing where they spent tons of money and really Anthem had a one and a half year actual development cycle when they spent like four years throwing around ideas and not knowing what they were doing. It looked like God of War had like two years of planning out and getting everything figured out and doing all the recording and getting all the work done. And then finally it was like, and then when they were actually working on the development, they were getting the focus testing done. They're like, well, thank goodness we have time. So they were able to add more stuff in. So it makes, it, it does show stuff in the industry that are interesting. So what else to talk about? Um, so... Before I jump into some more media stuff, um, last week, um, Alberta was blanketed, southern Alberta was blanketed in a nice um, cloud of smoke coming from northern Alberta, specifically the area of Slave Lake, where there was multiple forest fires. (coughs) And for about three days, there was a very high amount of smoke. Now, on the Wednesday, there wasn't that bad. Tuesday got worse. 
Um, no, Thursday got worse. And then Friday we had a 10 plus on the um, air quality scale. Now, the lower number, the, the safer the air. So that was insane. And on Friday, I was driving out to a friend's place to go, who lives in the southeast, and we were going to go shoot some firearms at his, at the club he's a member of. And while I was driving down there, the main north-south road in Calgary, the large one, um, which is part of the Queen Elizabeth II Highway in Alberta, it's called Deerfoot Trail in Calgary. There was a guy driving three cars in front of me in a BMW um, view with his convertible down at about 1 o'clock p.m., when the smoke was probably some of the worst in Calgary. Like, I could smell it in my Jeep. I, I was breathing it in my Jeep, like, with the air conditioning on and the recirculating air, it really felt bad. And my buddy Dan and I, when we were out, it was a similar thing, where it just was not pleasant. <coughs> if you weren't doing strenuous activity, it wasn't too bad, but if you were riding bikes or doing a lot of heavy outdoor work, it was not a good time. So thankfully, um, that's the um, wind has kept up and kept that smoke from coming here. But um, like during the Friday, I swear I saw like little cinders of ash floating in the air with it early in the morning when it was really starting to come in about 9 a.m. That was crazy. Apparently, uh, I don't know. I know a few fires in Alberta have been set by an arsonist, <coughs> and I think a few in. Um, I saw an article that said a few in BC. Unfortunately, the article I linked that was linked to saying that is a l article from last year. So I don't think BC's fires are arsonist set, but I haven't read any information that said they are. And the only information that said they were was from 2018. So that's say that was from last year's wildfires, which were really bad in late um, summer. <coughs> uh, Anyone ever watched um, the Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, Michael Pena movie End of Watch where they're two LAPD uh, officers? I decided to watch it. Like, it had been in my Netflix um, watch list for a long period of time. And I've, like, Michael Pena, I, I like him as, as stated in my um, my Ant-Man and Ant-Man 2, my Ant-Man 2 review about how I think he's, he's a great actor. He's versatile, but he's also really funny. Um, how he plays himself how he plays uh, the character in End of Watch is pretty interesting. Um, but also, just like Jake Gyllenhaal, like the first thing I ever saw him in was October Sky, which I think was one of the first big roles he had. And that's a movie I still like. Um, interesting enough, it's not on my DVD collection, but I do like watching it. Um, I had it on VHS. <laughs> that's how old I am. Yeah, videotape. <laughs> Oh, various other things of the past. It was a good movie. Liked watching it. There were actually a lot of good uh, people in that. Chris Cooper was great in that movie. Laura Dern, I believe, is um, the teacher. I think, yeah, that she's Laura Dern. Yeah, it, it was a really good movie. I wish um, more of those actors had gone on to be successful. Probably some have. I don't know. Um, there's IMDb. I guess I'll look at that after I finish this episode. But I decided to watch um, End of Watch because police movies usually interest me. And this one had an interesting way of saying it. It was actually a pretty good movie, um, I thought, about how it shows um, <laughs> some of the humanity of the, that the two police officers are and how they're going through their days and how they're dealing with things that are totally outside of their pay grade and 
out of their area of expertise, but they just get into it. I won't deal with any spoilers or say anything, but a lot of the actors are pretty good, and there's a lot of... Uh, it's it's a good movie. It's actually um, it's a little brutal for what it is. I mean, it's it's less brutal than John Wick, that's for sure. I mean, John Wick, you get an a, you get a hatchet thrown at somebody's head, but it was actually tastefully done. No, John John Wick was good, but End of Watch was actually better than I I thought it would be. I when I put movies on Netflix um, list, there's some movies that I have like this urge to go see, watch right now, and there's some movies I've I've seen like their IMFDB page and various other things. So I'm like, I'll I'll get onto this when I get onto it, and it's sort of like if the trailer art, like uh, the the box art and the trailer doesn't convince me to go on I am I am like on Wikipedia to see sort of the idea or going to TV tropes, it's like I'll wait. And then when I actually watch them, we were like, okay, this is this is a little good. And speaking of that, um, also watched uh, what was uh, the Gerald Butler um, Hunter Killer movie, which was actually better than I thought it would be. Now, I don't know if I would say it was great, but it was it was a fun movie. I didn't um, at no point in time was I like, hey, let's skip forward, let's skip forward, let's skip forward, let's look at the length. It actually kept me um, engaged. Uh, the Navy SEAL stuff was cool. Um, in it, uh, it's an interesting premise. I think that um, Gary Oldman's character as the uh, chief of staff of the Navy was uh, a little bit too... Cold War, like, two uh, post-Cold Wars, like, if they're going to shoot at us, we have to destroy them. Um, I liked how the president was meant to be an XB of um, of uh, Hillary Clinton. Obviously didn't get elected, so it, it, that was interesting. Um, I mean, I, uh, I'm i saying that's an XB. It could have also been just, you know, just expecting people to make that. And it's an interesting thing where, he, when the movie was made, you make this idea, do we... Could it be that the the director was hoping for that, or did they think, well, Hillary Clinton's going to win, so may as well have a female president as the role in this? It's got like a five-minute scene, so it's not really that much. Um, Common as, the, as an admiral in the Navy is interesting. Um, he, seen, he definitely comes across as a, by the books, but I have to do what's best for my crew, like my um, my guys out there. <laughs> there and give him the chance like if i'm confident that my subordinates who know what they're doing are going to be able to do what they want it was one of the last roles michael nyquist had who was um the um big bad in um john wick one he just did really really good uh it was it was a good movie it was a good movie again like I don't think it was up to the par of Hunt for Red October, which a lot of places, a lot of um, advertisement put it up to. But even when you're realizing that it's a ten, pl- it's a twenty-plus year difference, you can't really stack them beside each other. And it's a whole different story. Like Hunt for Red October is more of an espionage, and this this is more of a tactical war film, like a what if film. Versus Hunt for Red October is like. It's a what-if film, but it's much more about espionage and spy spycraft and not starting a fight and being actually very careful about how you make your next step. Uh, there's a little bit about that in Hunter Killer, but it's definitely much more of a somebody shot at us, time to shoot at them, versus 
thinking about uh, what would be the thing uh, I'm trying to position in my mind. It's much more of an active war situation for just Hunt for Racktober, which was like there could have been a war, but they the Russians were against their rogue enemy and they weren't attacking. They had no desire to attack the United States um, in the movie. I think in the book, obviously, various other things happen, but... Well, blah, blah, blah. so I talked about that. Uh, <clears throat> so has, has anyone um, listened to who listens to this podcast, have they ever seen um, or played uh, Thief Simulator? Because I saw um, the guys from Let's Play, uh, from Rooster Teeth, their Let's Play Achievement Hunter team, uh, playing it, uh, and I'm like... <coughs> This is interesting. I may have to play it. So I got it for Steam on sale, and I've been playing it, and it's like, it's got a good stealth, and it's actually fun. <laughs> it's sneaking into people's houses, you like stuff. And apparently here in Alberta, like a few weeks ago, a guy actually hid in a house for 18 hours when they were home to steal stuff, and then got caught running down the street to get to a bus. <coughs> so... um <coughs> And I got heard that from my parents. I'm like, I'm playing this game, and there are some houses where people never leave, so you're hiding around and trying to sneak around the house. And they're like, that actually happened. I'm like, yeah, it probably does happen every once in a while. That is unbelievably creepy. That would be terrifying. But yeah, Thie- Thief Simulator is an interesting game. Um, wish there was more to it, though. Uh, granted, there is more coming. It, it's just it, there's a lot of work to get to get um, leveled up pretty well in that game to have fun, but it is still fun actually. Um, getting caught is is an interesting uh, issue to deal with because it, it it screws you up because if you have anything stolen on you you lose it when the police come and get you. But it does um you <coughs> you do think about your um, approaches to how to do it when you figure things out like. Oh, that guy's going to be there from now on. I'm going to keep watching that house and various other things. Uh, yeah, it's just having a fun game. And more about gaming. Um, so Xbox is now starting to put their Xbox Windows games on Steam instead of on the Windows Store. So they won't be Windows Universal apps anymore. They they might actually be just regular 64-bit executable uh, you know, EXEs. Which is interesting. Um... This is really interesting in the, in the PC gaming market because Epic and Steam, um, Epic, uh, Epic Steam, Epic's uh, game store and Steam have been, which is owned by Valve, have been sort of going after each other. And by that is, Epic has been going after Steam, and Steam has been, um, at least from the surface, like there's there's another competitor here. What? There's somebody else at the party? I mean, I I didn't think there was a party. I thought there was just one of us here. <laughs> So, Steam doesn't do anything to Epic. Epic's just making fun of them and, tr- and buying exclusives up and and pulling them away from Steam or doing various other things. And then Steam gets a shot in the arm by Microsoft saying, we're going to release our games on the Steam platform. There's a lot to read in there, and I don't know any about, anything about it, but it seems pretty funny that Microsoft's taking... Uh, Taking up uh, Valve versus uh, going at versus putting it on Epic, because uh, Steam takes thirty percent, Epic takes like eighteen percent. So that twelve percent, it depends. Like that twelve percent could be a lot if you have a huge amount of like a very large install base 
versus 30%. Like, if Epic had a install base 60% of Steam, that's a lot of money you could save by going to the Epic Store. But, you know, maybe maybe Microsoft has a better working relationship with Valve. Maybe it's because Gabe Newell was a Microsoft millionaire, and that's what started Valve. Um, maybe it's just... Microsoft likes the idea of Valve being an open platform better than they, uh, better than they like, uh, you know, Steam. I mean, maybe better than they like, uh, what's the other one? Um, Epic. I don't know. It'll be, it'd be interesting to find out what the truth of that is and what they're going on. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think the Epic store obviously needs some work, um, hearing about their May sale, (laughs) And um, you have to buy everything individually because they don't have a shopping cart yet. And apparently that's on their six-month-long uh, projected work. It's like, there are things here that you haven't figured out yet. Come on, Epic. Get on it. <clears throat> but um, also, the the market has to diversify. There has to be more distributors going on. Because if we keep centralizing this, we're going to find out um, that's the stuff that's going to happen, and we act. And I'll talk about that later. Talking about how the centralization of power in small corp and very large corporations that are only a few in the marketplace is actually having a detrimental effect to an economy. Now, um, but uh, more for that later. Uh, now onto another topic. Um, in McCollum of Forgotten Weapons and In Range TV, a uh, partner in Range TV with Carl Casada and his own uh, operation for God Weapons, kickstarted a book on French military rifles, uh, Chasse to the FAMAS, which is interesting because FAMAS was the last uh, French arsenal-made rifle, which is now being replaced by Heckler and Koch's um, uh, 416. And I think eventually uh, the the HK-433, which is being trialed by the German army, could eventually replace that um it's an interesting idea like ian himself has a various uh has a history of collecting uh and interest in french firearms and this is an interesting uh, book and it was on kickstarter i think in the u i think in u.s funds it made 762 762,308 dollars seven seven hundred sixty two thousand three hundred eight dollars which is funny because 762 is 308 <laughs> I don't know if that was the exact exact endpoint, but that was like within two hours of the Kickstarter ending. Uh, I decided to kickstart it too. I got a signature edition book. Uh, they only did so many um, so many of the personalized message collectors books. I think they said five hundred, and then they added packages on. So they had to shift things around. It's an interesting um, interesting idea, and and they'll be delivered November onward. I don't think uh, I'll be getting mine in November. Just because he's got 5,000 plus books he now has to sign. <coughs> and uh, 500 of those have personalized messages, uh, potentially. But cool on um, cool on Ian for doing that and for the publishing company, Headstamp Publishing, for doing that. And Ian, this isn't his first foray. This is his first foray into making a book. But his father made um, a Japanese World War II firearms book. Uh, 
that's just about Japanese firearms from World War II. Uh, I don't know if it was military rifles or not. He had his father on the live stream for the last three hours prior to um, uh, the Kickstarter ending, and it was it was cool um, seeing him and his dad talk about these things and pass on information about each other uh, and uh, talk about jokes going on like uh, the gun Jesus meme. Which is which is funny, and Ian bring bring it up in a uh, in range Q and A, um, actually May's in range Q and A about the gun Jesus meme about how <coughs> him and Carl have seen it. Um, he sees all of them, like he's seen it many times before. Like if you're a guy who's a fan of his and you see a gun Jesus meme on the internet and you send it to him, he's probably seen it nine to twelve times before you have. Not that he doesn't appreciate seeing it the first time and thinking that's cool, but when you see it many, many times, it's like, I've seen it already. And I can get that. And he doesn't say it as any disrespect. Like, the meme is funny, and Carl likes it, and it's an interesting, uh, it's, it's an interesting character. Uh, going back to video games. So, Hideo, Hideo Kojima's Death Stranding game that was teased, uh, was it like the, I think it was, uh, was it 2006? It was teased. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know if it's 2006 or. The, uh, the original Death Stand- Stranding trailer uh, going all the way back. Oh, man. I think it was 2006 where it was first teased um, or announced. Yeah, 2063. We finally have the release date. So this month they dropped the release date on it which is expected to be November 8th, 2019. Now, I suspect that we'll see if that holds when we get closer. I suspect around September, maybe even August, we'll see if it gets pushed back or not. Just because it is a beautiful-looking game. Um, Amazing characters in it with um, Mars... I can't even pronounce his name. Uh, You know, and then we've got uh, Norman Reedus and Guillermo del Toro and various other great actors and actresses in it. It looks like it's going to be an amazing game. Um, in story, I've it's interesting because I've seen both sides of this coin where I wasn't a big Metal Gear Solid fan. I've only... So I have Metal Gear 1 on PlayStation. I got Metal Gear 2 and 3. I've played most of the way through 3. I have Metal Gear 5. I've never played 4, but I've heard various things about it. Um, apparently one of the funnest Metal Gear games is the Revengeous, Re- Revengeance spinoff uh with Raiden like the Hackett Slash one made by Platinum Games um played a little bit of five <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see if this is actually like a really 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 good game or not we'll only have to wait and see uh, and and speaking of E3 it's supposed to be happening soon it'll be uh I think the end of it's next week isn't it it's the 11th to the 16th yeah it's next week so Probably we'll see what schedules happen because it's this weekend we should be seeing some of this stuff and Sony isn't showing up, which explains why last week they did the Death Stranding trailer because may as well get some stuff out before E3, especially if you're not doing an E3 showcase like you normally do. So we'll see if that is actually a good game. Like Again, I'm November 9th, uh, 8th is when it's expected to come out. Interesting that it's so close to um, usually when Call of Duty is going to drop, and Call of Duty Modern Warfare is supposed to... I think that's uh, that's going to drop around that time, isn't it? 
Yeah, let's see. When are they expecting to drop Call of Duty Modern Warfare? Um, soft reboot. <coughs> October 25th. Okay, so they're doing a full two weeks ahead. They have moved. <laughs> That's amazing that they have moved for um, Hideo Kojima. But we'll we'll see. Like the uh, the few, the video games I've played have had good story and relatively good controls and have been very in depth for what I've wanted. Um, now they didn't grab me as well. I do appreciate the middle what Metal Gear Solid is in the gaming universe. It just it was because I wasn't a PlayStation guy. I never really enjoyed it. I should have played the Twin Snakes um, version on GameCube, but again, it was like, this is a field I'm not really in on. And then E3 coming up soon. So we'll see what Sony, uh, not Sony, what Xbox, uh, I believe EA, Ubisoft, and Bethesda are all going. I'm not 100% sure if Bethesda is, though. Um, especially with Bethesda's craziness. I just haven't played Rage 2 yet, and I've heard various good things about Rage 2. <coughs> I can't believe I've missed. I haven't played Rage Two yet, but we've we've heard about Bethesda and the Fallout seventy six thing, and I watched a bit of the interview with uh, Todd Howard about it, about how he knew it wasn't going to be a great s- scoring game, and there's criticism on both sides of that. Like, why would you release a game if you know it's not going to score great? But also, considering that it's the first time they've released a multiplayer game, I think it was more of a learning experience. Unfortunately, I think they should have been. Like, there were a lot of um, missteps they made releasing the game and then supporting the game after release and getting a bunch of other stuff. Like, the content should be getting better and better. I mean, No Man's Sky had two years and they came out really well, but it just looks like they didn't... um, What's the phrase? Like, the pre-order stuff they did that didn't really turn out well and how apparently some people still haven't gotten the, the correct canvas bag and all this shit... I don't know if Todd Howard's in charge of that. I wonder if it was he. I wonder if he's been thrown like if if the uh, if the CEOs or the executives of the team said you are the face of this. You're the face of Fallout. You take the fall for it. And I, I wonder if he was actually. I mean, we won't know for years to come if he actually supported Fallout seventy six or was just like we have to have a multiplayer game in our inventory. <clears throat> so we'll 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 see. What happens to them? Um, I mean, uh, the next Doom game is supposed to happen soon, so hopefully that's going to be really well. It seems like if you leave leave id Software to do what they are best at, you get good games. Bethesda themselves seem to have um, a hard time making amazing games at launch, but they can make pretty good games over time as they patch them up. And I wonder if it's just because of how how much they put in uh, inside story and side things that they do that they you can do in those games like Skyrim and and and, um, and Fallout Four and Fallout Three uh, <coughs> that it takes a long time to find all these bugs and sometimes it takes maybe even a year or two from the community playing it to find absolutely every flaw in the game and people of course are then modding and hacking it. Uh, to, to, and data mining it, I wonder what's uh, what's actually going to happen with that in the long run. And uh, speaking of which, uh, somebody had... I believe I brought this up uh, where... I don't think I did in my last podcast episode, actually. Um, 
because uh, we hadn't gotten the Ace Combat plane. But how um, Ace Combat on PC, Ace Combat 7 on PC, had been data mined, and there's a... There's a Russian program that hacks Steam's API and tells it, it like um, to release content and or say that you own um, the content that maybe you didn't own, and people were using that to get all three of the DLC planes early because a lot of the um, information was sent out on the original like um, version 1.10 patch carried a lot of that data with it. Now, of course, there's going to be refinements when they finally release the patch that actually launch these planes. But some guys were playing with the uh, ADF uh, One Falcon and, and uh, the uh, and the ADFX One Morgan. They were playing with them early, like on the day of that, by hacking it. And originally, when I'd heard that, I thought, oh, maybe it's an INI file config, or maybe there's like a you just add like you know a few lines of text here, and all of a sudden you're playing the game. No, you have to hack Steam. So I was like, no, I'm not bothering this. I will gladly wait. I would rather wait than have a Russian pro- Russian hacking program on my PC. I'm sure there are people who can safely do it without causing damage. I I could learn to do that, but I'd rather not touch that whatsoever. Um, yeah. I also have a gripe. So this has only happened on my desktop PC it's only happened since I've moved to Windows 10. And I obviously, I'm going to have to reinstall Google Chrome because Windvine CDM, the content uh, ID managing system for, uh, for Google Chrome, just won't update. So every time I turn my computer off, if I go to watch Netflix a second, like after I turn it back on a second time, I have to delete that and re-update it or else Netflix stutters every five to seven seconds doesn't happen on Amazon. It doesn't happen on any other streaming platform I watch. It's only on Netflix. And I don't blame Netflix because I know as soon as I change that, it works. Netflix works on Edge, which is crazy to say it works on Edge. And it works on, on Opera perfectly well. And it works on Firefox. So it's only on Chrome this WinFine thing is going on. So I'm I'm kind of pissed off. Like you know, it doesn't happen on any other platform. It doesn't happen on my little um, transformer book, which has the exact same generation of Chrome. Now my transformer book doesn't have the computing power as anywhere near my desktop PC, but still, like, what the, what the fuck? What the fuck? I, I it's either like not updating properly or it's corrupting for some reason. And I I don't think it's Windows 10. I think it's just. Google Chrome holdover from Windows 7. Something screwed up on that, so obviously I should reinstall it. But it only happened recently. It only happened in the last month. I've watched Netflix since like April when I updated, and it wasn't a problem then. It's only become a recent issue, so I don't know. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe I should just do a fresh start with Chrome, and maybe I should completely uninstall it. So going back to another thing, um, when, when which I said about relating to the smoke, my buddy Dan took me shooting, and we mostly shot 22 pistol caliber carbines. So um, we shot two of his 22 pistols. We shot a um, a Browning Buckmark that was actually in a pist- a rifle configuration. So it was the main body with a longer barrel and a shoulder stock. Those things are so fun to shoot. Like pistol caliber carbines, P- PCCs are so nice to shoot. They're fun, and they're great fundamental weapons. <coughs> you know. You can go to the range and shoot twenty two all day long, not hurt yourself. 
learn how to learn how to properly do your trigger pull, learn how you're pulling your weapon when you're pulling the trigger, um, you know, how you're throwing your shots and doing all this other thing and, you know, getting your stances all better and it doesn't cost a lot of money and it's, it's actually ridiculously fun. You don't have to go to the ranch to shoot a 50 Smith & Wesson to have fun. It's fun to shoot a 50 Smith & Wesson every once in a while, but, like, the slamming down the fundamentals with a 22 caliber rifle and 22 caliber pistol is just, just beautiful, beautiful. It's cheap, it's fun, and I, I look forward to doing that more again. Because um, I've learned, he taught me a few things this go around. And here's the thing: I know a lot about firearms, but I'm not a great shooter of them. I, I most of the firearms I've shot in my life have been here's 25 rounds at a shooting range like Battlefield Vegas. Now their their goal is to get you through quickly and have fun. Now, they'll, if the range isn't too busy, they will definitely want to talk to you about, like, we'll do this, and that will get your um, configuration, or that will get, uh, not configuration, but that will get your fundamentals going. But they've become, like, range like, ranges like that have definitely gotten more and more busy as they go on. And the range safety officers may not be, they may be trained on how the gun functions, but they may not be trained on how to properly instruct your body shape, your body type, or your experience level, how to properly um, engage that weapon. Or they may not be observing, like, okay, so you're flinching when you're pulling the trigger, which is making your gun wiggle. Instead of, like, carefully bringing your, your trigger finger back and just pulling straight back, you are slapping it, which is causing a little bit of a shock in the frame and throwing your bullet um, trajectory off. Which isn't, which isn't to say they have to do that. They don't have to do that. They're, they're, they're hired for people to shoot machine guns quickly. And people want to shoot machine guns by going, bah, holding on the trigger and doing that or that, doing long round bursts. I mean, I like doing that too when I can, but I definitely am more to the point of I would like to increase my fundamentalist skill with these things of being like more accurate and more um, able to judge effectively where I'm shooting. So this is why I love my friend Dan, because... In Canada, it's like hard to get certain firearms, but 22s are still available, and they're fun to shoot, and they're relatively cheap to shoot. So we like doing that, and that was that was unbelievably fun. We did that on uh, Friday last week. Okay, so time for the soapbox part. Time for the soapbox, <laughs> and. I don't know if any of you think about this. I hinted that it's about the, um, again, consolidation of power issues. So one thing I saw um, last week and a little bit into this week is um, Salesforce, which makes a which makes a selling program for both online and for in-store um, inventory sales, has said to Camping World and various other organizations that sell firearms that they will no longer, uh, you either stop selling firearms specifically ones with semi-automatic rifles and 30-round extended magazines, which we can get into that fucking argument later. You know, if an AR-15 variant is sold with a 30-round mag as the standard magazine, and that's a standard shape because everyone's making 30 rounds, that's the standard magazine. It's not extended. 40-round Magpul uh, extended magazines are extended. A 30-round regular magazine with a base plate extension is an extended magazine a 60 round d60 uh, magpul drum or a surefire 60 or the surefire 100 and stuff like that those are extended magazines 
the standard AR-15 magazine is 30 rounds, just like the standard AK platform magazine is 30 rounds. Now, I can go grant you the original AR-15 M16 variant made for the United States Army was a 25-round magazine, and then they shrunk it down to 20 because the 25-round was not having the reliability they wanted. And they did make a 40 that didn't have reliability that they liked either. So for Vietnam, it was mostly 20, and then they figured out the 30, and then it became the 30 after Vietnam. So, you know, more you know. Although the 20 being it's like a legitimately almost box-shaped is easier to transport. Uh, more of, but again, 10 extra round capacity in your standard magazine means you're reloading less time. Um, so, anyway, Salesforce, uh, this whole thing brings up the, ma ma the issue where you have these massive companies that dominate a market, market space with very little competition, and they start pushing politics by denying their politics by uh, denying services to the companies that don't align with those politics. So Salesforce to Camping World. It's like, Salesforce doesn't doesn't want to, doesn't support the sale of AR-15s. And they're a large portion of this uh, digital sales um, software company. They're a large comp competitor in this space, and there's not a lot of them. Wouldn't it suck if they all colluded together and say, like, well, if you're going to shoot guns, you can't use any of our products? It would be like um, if all the payment processors, which some have, said they won't do services with firearms-related companies and gun stores. And this is, um, this is a problem that happens in a corporatist, uh, corporatist empire or type of government because true capitalism would say, okay... Let's start a competing service. Let's get all the gun stores together and they start their own payment processing and we make our own software. But because of how the United States and many other countries have perverted capitalism to corporatism where the corporations have enough money to lobby laws and regulations to be created that they can easily absorb the costs on. But if somebody new wanted to enter that market space, they would have to spend a ridiculous amount of money on regulation, regulatory costs, taxes and pay people uh, very high amounts of money to actually compete fairly in that marketplace, and plus have all these other legal obligations they have to do, it hinders the growth of competition in this market space. And we see that from Facebook, Google, uh, Twitter, and various mega companies. Uh, mostly the tech companies seem to be the big things, where a lot of them are centra centralized around San Francisco in Silicon Valley. So they have a shared... They have a sort of shared culture between them. Now, they're competing, but they're competing in a way... Um, but there's only a few of them. Like, it's going to take a while for a legitimate competitor to Facebook to show up. Um, I mean, Facebook is on decline to a degree, but they own a lot of good products. Like, they own Snapchat and they own in, uh, Instagram, which is really going well for them. And... It, what would have really helped is if they had not been able to purchase those platforms. If those platforms had said... Screw you, Facebook. We're going to go independent, and we're not going to allow you to buy our stocks. We're going to remain... Uh, we're going to sell Class B non-voting shares, and we're only, only going to have a few voting shares, and those are going to be held by the original company creators, and we're not going to allow you guys to take it over. And you get companies like Apple. Like It's weird that... Um, I don't know... Apple doesn't really push um, politics in their, uh, in their companies so much... Uh, 
in what they sell, there is a political culture in their company, but it's less overt. Tim Cook is probably the most political person presenting an Apple, and even them, like, besides from his, uh, the fact that he is a, uh, his sexual orientation is gay, but he doesn't really, like, you know, he doesn't go around hating people or saying, we're never, we're not going to sell iPhones in Georgia because of blah, blah, blah. He does more of, like, let's raise money and protest them in fair ways. So credit to Tim Cook on that. Like, I may not be a great fan of Tim Cook, and... I could go on to talk about the new Mac uh, Pro that they just released. Uh, they just showed off yesterday at the WWU DC Worldwide Developer Conference 2019, which I'm <coughs> because I haven't bought and I don't buy Apple products and I generally don't use Apple products. What's the point of me ranting on something I don't use or have a desire to access or have the cash flow to buy? So um, you know, go go. Sn- Go listen to somebody who actually will buy this and test it out and play with that. I mean, it it's a nice looking machine, but I it's meant for professionals, so it's not meant for me, and that's as far as I'm willing to go on it. But going back to this, the broad issue of how these massive companies can control this this space, like Amazon is huge in their space, and they could they could totally, if they wanted to, restrict people selling on their platform based on politics if they wanted to. They could say they you can't buy firearms or ammunition through Amazon. I don't know if they have or haven't. Um, there's tons of stuff that could enter that way. There's whole things where Google... And Google sort of has done this, where they've made it hard to search for gun-related content. I don't think they kept that up long. I think they did it more... Meh. But it's it's... It's weird when you look at the world where how we've got only a set number of companies that really have this dominant control because of corporatist culture where the governments have basically created these regulations that make it next to impossible for new companies to compete fairly in that space without somehow getting their, you know, their kiss of the ring sort of shit. And yet, and then you see like these companies have stock prices go through the roof at the stock market because the stock market sees anything the government signs off on. The stock market's like, oh, this has got to be really, really good. And then eventually it gets to the point where proper economists and debtors are staring at it like, this company ain't making any money. Why is its stock worth $1,000? Not like that. Like Facebook stock, you know, the profit margins have to be substantial. And and when you have a portion of these companies um, where people are trading off, like, you know, somebody going, somebody's going from YouTube to go work at Facebook and then go from Facebook to go work at Twitter and blah, 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 and they're just being passed around and go to Reddit. You don't have as much fresh ideas coming in or the fresh ideas that do come in are so drastically different that they could potentially be suppressed, which would mean that the only way to... Deal with that would be like um, a massive new company to compete. Like look what happened to that <coughs> Firefox CEO, who he personally wasn't. Okay, <coughs> he was a Christian guy who funded um, the anti-gay uh, marriage proposition in California. He just donated like some money to it, but he never spoke out against gay marriage, and he never said, and he never did it through his company once. 
but goodness me, because he donated money in one way, we have to kick him out of the company and he retired. It's it's dangerous when that sort of subculture can be created and allowed to exist when nobody's challenging that. And that's my soapbox for today. It's concerning that we're seeing this happen where um, these like, companies like pay, there's not a lot of uh, international payment processors. Like in Canada, we've only got a few banks. Like in the U.S., luckily, they've got a lot of uh, credit unions and state banks that can find the way around a lot of this stuff. But on the Internet, you really only have so many choices. And you see that as it becomes, as these companies start getting closer inside, like they start getting larger and larger, they start, only a few of them really get to the top. And you start wondering, are are the guys getting to the top? Are they getting to the top because they're legitimately the best? Or do they know that's going to be so hard for somebody else to compete with them that they're spending all their money to basically cement a platform to create a legacy product that it will be very hard to su- like supplant in years to come? Now, I, I don't know. I think that the internet is also a fluid space where Google could be a... Like, Google could go... Alphabet could totally sell off a good portion of YouTube or may have to. Because I don't, I don't know if, they, if I brought this up, but how YouTube, um, Leonard French was talking about a few weeks ago about how he had gotten an email from, um, had was showing off uh, where because of uh, YouTube had deals with Warner Music, or was it Universal Music, that um, they were sending account strikes, but they weren't DMCA claims. They were saying, like, you can't play this because we have a deal with the record company that they get to choose where it gets shown up. It's like, well, if you're doing that, you're no longer safe Harbor. You've taken a side and safe Harbor only exists. If you're like people posting our stuff and we just pass the information along. As soon as you sign a contract to get exclusivity or to get uh, extra revenue streams from the official stuff, all of a sudden you're no longer a state, uh, a safe Harbor. And then the original content creators, which, <clears throat> Are the vast reason when people go to YouTube isn't to watch Hollywood-related stuff, not to watch the news, not to watch the established media. It's to watch, like, I guess you could say the new age media sort of thing, but it's to watch stuff that isn't... Uh, I'm not going to say it's not low in production quality. You can get stuff that's extremely high in production quality, but it's to see stuff outside of this... Um, outside of the cable and movie world that's established and that we've known about for decades and decades, they're looking for something new and outside the, the norm. And the norm doesn't mean like normalism, like, Oh, they're outside the norm. Like they're not normal. It's like, no, it's just like, we're not, maybe somebody's doing a, a funny, like improv skit, uh, sketch comedy on YouTube. That's just, not on anybody else. That's why some people are going. Some people are going there to watch funny videos, cat compilations, dog compilations. Some people are going there to watch Let's Plays because that's rarely going to be on TV or major league gaming sports and stuff like that. So there's all this various... Um, reason to go into these video sharing websites that now exist on the internet. And YouTube's the biggest one. <coughs> But we should see, as time goes on, what um, what will happen to them. Anyway, I should wrap this up. It is getting a little late, my friends, a little, little late on June 4th. 
And uh, hopefully I get another episode up soon. Again, just pretty much follows my desired schedule. And in two days from now, actually just less than two days, two days from now, June 6th is the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Operation Overlord, when Ally, when the Allies landed in Normandy, France, and alleviated the Russian Eastern Front to allow a Western Front to be created and helped sort of end the war. I mean, to be honest, at this point, Germany was in retreat from Russia, but it would have taken years for Russia to successfully do what they did. The fact that um, the Allies were able to land there meant that Germany had to pick sides where we're sending resources. And when you have a consider when you have a resource base that's getting smaller and via- and your equipment's getting destroyed by both sides, you're like, well do we spend tiger tanks there and the uh SG STG forty four is there and <coughs> the Guru is forty three there and the and the Mausers there. Like where do we send the stuff? Where do we send the fighters? Where do we send the bombers? Uh, what do we say? Uh, there's no point. In, like our navy's almost completely gone, so our U-boats are useless. It's like, oh crap, they're at our front door, and that really helped. Like it definitely saved um, Russian lives in the long run. I mean, Russia still took ridiculous casualties, <laughs> but I guess when you are fighting with the we have reserves, and the Russians killed definitely more Germans than the Allies did, it, <laughs> they won the war. They won that part of the war. But then you go to the Pacific, you see the United States won that part of the war. So, anyway, yeah, 75 years ago, on June 6th, Normandy landing. And it's crazy, it's 75 years ago. Like, there's going to be, like, the youngest people probably running on Normandy Beach were 16 or 17 years old. Maybe a few 15 or 15 years old people who lied about their age, but... You know, you're not, and 16-year-olds, again, lied about their age, but you're not going to see 14-year-olds, so there's a very small percentage of that population left. So, you know, just remembering the Great, the Second World War and the Great War that's, you know, is almost, which is over a century old now. The Great War is over a century old because peace was done by 1918. But yeah, how time flies. <laughs> Not just for the world, but just for us. Like, you know, <laughs> time does really fly when you <clears throat> when you're having fun, or you're busy. <laughs> Sometimes I wish it wasn't flying as much as it was, but you know, whatever stuff happens. So yeah, I think that's good enough. Uh, you know, this was the blueberries on fire. <laughs> And they definitely are on fire. They need to learn. They need to learn. Those fucking blueberries. They're always being traitors. So we burn them. (laughs) Yep, well, thanks for tuning in next week. uh, Well, I shouldn't say next week. Next time, again, um, going back to the past. Going back to my past a little bit more. Making fun of um, who I was and where I came from. Maybe talking about some of the injuries I got and some of the uh, interesting stories from those. Maybe, maybe. We'll see. But it will definitely go back to the best. I'm either going back into talking about um, specific events that happened from grade 1 through grade 6 and maybe a little earlier, or taking grade 6 and onward, then grade 7 and uh, through to graduation and maybe a little bit into university. I'll, I'll see what grabs my mind. Anyway, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Source from the Christmas Tree. 
And remember, if you do want to send an email, it's uh, it's SF uh, SF oh God, sorry, SFTCD at JawsConsortium.com. And SFTCD is stories from the CRISPR drawer. It's just the acronym for that. I realize I should have just done like, you know, stories from the CRISPR drawer, but that's a long ass fucking email address. <coughs> so I just went SFTCD. And nobody's emailed in yet, so if you guys wouldn't mind emailing in. And again, the link will be in the description of this episode when it goes up, which will go up very, very, very quickly. By, and by that I mean the link will be up by June 5th. Which at this point, you're listening to this, it is after June 5th. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think that's good enough for today. Bye.